All right, Romans chapter 10. Did I tell you all about that already? You there, Romans chapter 10? I want to read in verse 13 down through verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, we were away on vacation this week, and, and we did have a good vacation. Some of you have asked us about that. We had a great vacation, like our best vacation in years. It was really, really good, really, really relaxing. And uh, Denise and I went out to dinner one night at Bush Gardens. Uh, we went down into the little Italy village and pretended that we were overseas somewhere. And I serenaded her and sang, you know, embarrassed. I didn't really do all that. But it, it was nice. We had a really good vacation. We were sitting around, and we were talking about... Uh, things that we talk about. One of the things we were talking about was the things that I've been preaching on. And, you know, I've been in a series of messages uh, for the last couple of months about answers to tough questions, true answers from God's Word to tough questions. And we've been dealing with some really, really difficult questions. And as I was away and as we were talking through that, I decided uh, that I was going to postpone this week's message until I returned from Ghana for a couple of reasons. One, One is because Um, This week's message was supposed to be on sexuality and the Christian, and not just uh, heterosexuality, but also homosexuality and all other types of views that we have in our culture on sexuality, and how does the Bible engage those things. And I just thought to myself, I'm just being blunt and honest with you, I thought, you know, we're going to get to church on Sunday, it's going to be decorated for VBS, there's going to be lots of kids around, it's not that I don't want the kids around. In fact, let me say this. In two weeks, I am going to preach on sexuality and the Christian. And I would encourage you, if you have young children, to have them here. They're hearing it somewhere anyway. They're definitely going to hear it in their schools. And I would much rather my kids hear it here in the church and hear what the Bible says about it than to hear it somewhere else. So don't hide your kids from it. But I just thought that this week wasn't quite the right week. I wanted things to be upbeat. I wanted things to be energetic. I wanted uh, to just postpone it for that reason. And, and also, I wanted to talk about something else this week. The more and more I thought about what we were doing and what this week would bring, this is an exciting week for our church. I mean, it really is an exciting time for our church. Every year, this is the week, really, where we have the best opportunity to engage our neighbors to share the gospel with our friends, with our family, with the people who live around us. It's a unique time for us to be able to do that. So we're having VBS this week, which is an exciting week. And then on Saturday, early Saturday morning this week, I think around 3.30 in the morning. Is that right? Man, you look like you got beat up by Mike Tyson, I'm telling you. If you haven't seen Nick, I think he had a little accident yesterday. You can talk talk to him about it. But but I think around 3.30 in the morning... Uh, We're going to get up and we're going to head up to JFK. We're going to drive to JFK to fly out. Then we're going to fly to to Morocco overnight. And then we're going to get on another plane from Morocco and fly into Ghana. And uh, so we're sending 12 people from our church. That's about 10% of our church family is heading over to Ghana. I think that's awesome. 
I think that's awesome. So this week is a big week, and it, I think, really can serve as a reminder for us about what we do as a church and why we do things as a church and who we are as a church and really help us to refocus on our mission. Isn't it easy to not be focused on our mission as a church? I mean, really, it's easy for me to, to lose track of it. I mean, I believe in our mission, and I'm going to talk about it here in a, in a couple minutes, but, but it's easy for me to lose track of it and all the little things that we do and all the good things that we do and all the Bible studies and the sermons preached and the Wednesday night dinners and the youth evenings and all the other events that we have, the ladies' dinners and all, all the things that we do. It's easy, I think, sometimes for us just to lose sight of the fact that there's a bigger picture for us as a church. There's a bigger mission for us as a church, I mean, why do we decorate the church like this every year? I mean, is it just for fun? Why do we do this? Why do you, why do you take off work? Some of you take off work. And why do you sacrifice your time and, and spend your days here at BBS? Why do we wear Cherish and John and family out all year, every year, in order to make this thing happen? Why do we do it? And why do we send people? Why are people taking off of work and, and spending thousands of dollars on plane tickets and, and going and getting vaccines for yellow fever and typhoid and hepatitis A and whatever else you got vaccinated for? And then you're going to get on a plane and fly all, all the way to the other side of the world for just a week, just a short time, just a week. I mean, why do we do these things? And I think it's simple. I think we see it here in this passage of Scripture that I just read. For us. And I just want to walk us through it, and I want to show you a few important things from this passage of Scripture about why we do what we do. And, and by the way, I, I also got an email this week um, from a marketing, I get a, there are all kinds of church marketing firms out there, and they're trying to market things to us, and I got an email from this marketing place, and they wanted to know, have you considered your why? You know, and there's, if you don't know, there's a popular TED Talk video from a guy talking about everybody needs to, good leaders start with why and not how and all these things. And, and as I was reading through the, the email, it was encouraging churches to think about why they exist. And he was saying, well, you may exist for this reason, or you may exist for that reason, or you may exist for this reason, but you have to answer the question, why do you exist? And I immediately thought to myself, there's only one reason why we exist. Like for every church, there's only one reason why we exist. And I want to walk you through it. The first thing I want you to know is that we exist for the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. Look at verse 13 again. Where it says that for everyone, everyone. And I would love for you if you underline or mark up your Bibles or highlight to, to underline that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Americans who call upon the name of the Lord. Europeans. Africans, Asians, white people, black people, all people, everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the focus of the church, the message of the gospel. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is why we exist, is for this message, the message of the gospel. Let me just give it to you. In a concise fashion, we've done this before, but if you weren't here for this, if you ever want a real simple, concise definition of the gospel, you can do it in four words. First word is God. It begins with God. God is holy. God is absolutely sinless. God is the creator of all things, and he created man 
in His image, to give Him glory, to live in fellowship with Him. The second word is man. Man immediately in the garden, not long after He was created, fell into sin by rebelling against God in every single person. Since then, since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, has been born with a sin nature and will by nature sin and become a child of wrath. We are born that way. You are that way. I am that way. We are sinners, every one of us, who deserves the wrath of God. Third word, Christ. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world as the perfect substitute. He lived His life in our place, fulfilled all the laws of God that we couldn't fulfill, lived, was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin, and then went to a cross as the perfect substitution where God the Father poured out all of His wrath, all of it, on His own Son. And the Bible says that when we trust in Him, and I know this is hard for us to grasp, but it is true, when we trust in Him, His righteous life and His substitutionary atonement on the cross is credited to us. Him who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in Him. So when we trust Him, we become righteous, justified, legally justified. And then that leads to four, our response. We all respond. And that's what verse 13 is saying. Anyone who responds and believes in that message of the gospel will what? Be saved. Every single person who responds will be saved. So that's the first thing. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do VBS? Because tradition? Because it's the sacred cow? Why do we do VBS? Why do we go to Ghana? Why do we do any of the things that we do? We do it because we believe that every person who responds to the gospel will be saved. That's why we do what we do. The second thing I want you to notice here is the urgency of the mission. If our mission is to make disciples by proclaiming the gospel, sharing this message with every single person on earth, if that's the message of the gospel and what we do, then notice the urgency of what we do, the urgency of our mission. Look in verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And in my Bible, I just underlined a few words to, to capture the urgency of it. In verse 14, that first sentence I underlined, they have not believed. And in the second sentence I underlined, and they have never heard. This idea that there are people all over the world who've not believed and who've not heard. And for anybody who's not believed in Christ and not believed in the gospel, the Bible tells us that their eternity is an eternity of separation from God in righteous punishment of their sins. They'll spend an eternity in hell. They have not believed. They've never heard. Seventy, and this is, a, by the way, a really, really generous estimate. 70% of the world's population is without Christ. 70%. 41% of the world is considered unreached. That means that they don't even have a chance to hear the gospel. 41% considered unreached. I think about Ghana, where some of you will go on Saturday, arrive this time next week, you'll be in Ghana. And in Ghana, there's one of the largest unreached, unengaged people groups in sub-Saharan Africa, the Hausa people. There are 290,000 of them in Ghana. That's where our well projects are, right in their midst. That's where they are. And according to the Joshua Project, they are a zero on the progress scale. 
They are 0% evangelical Christian. 0% Christian at all. Zero. That means that you'll live and die in that tribe and never even hear the gospel. Zero. There's nobody there. The Ligby people, a smaller tribe, about 10% the size. They live in the north, northwestern, the upper west region of Ghana. They are also zero on the progress scale. Zero percent Christian. It's not just on the other side of the world either. It's right here in our own community, isn't it? Because we're becoming increasingly, increasingly non-Christian. There are more and more people around us who are non-Christian than there are people who are Christian. And this demands, or it should demand, a sense of urgency from us. Is something should be done about that. And let's just think about it this way, by the way. Just follow me here. And, and I tried to think of a good analogy. I don't know if this is a good analogy or illustration or not. But, but let's just think of it this way in simple terms. What if we had the answer? What if we had the cure for every form of cancer? What if we possessed that? I mean, I can't imagine that we would just sort of get around to it if we got around to it. As far as spreading the message, as far as letting people know, as far as telling people that we have a cure for the thing that's killing you. I can't imagine that we wouldn't do everything that we could to raise the funds, the resources, uh, to take our time, to do whatever we could to go all around the world to our neighbors here at home and to the farthest stretches of the world to say, we have the one thing that will save your life. I can't imagine that there wouldn't be a sense of urgency if we had a cure for cancer. But sin is so much more serious than cancer. Cancer can kill your body, but sin can destroy your soul. And it will. It will cause you to go to hell. And we have the answer. I mean, we have the answer. Where's our sense of urgency? You know, this sense of urgency where Paul's saying, how, how can they call on him? They, they've not believed. How can they believe? They've never heard. Somebody has to go and tell them. Somebody has to get there and tell them. I was reading this morning, by the way, about the, this small tribe in the Upper West region of Ghana. And, and let me read this to you because this had a, a, a profound sort of immediate effect on me. And I think this, is, this happens to a lot of us, and we just have to be careful about it. But I was reading about them because this is the first time I'd heard about them. I'm familiar with the Hausa tribe, but, but not the Ligby people. There are 23,000 of them. And it said that the Ligby inhabit a small region in western Ghana. Ghana's, uh, Ghana's coastal and far north regions are savannas or flat grasslands. And in between the grasslands is a forest zone. The low annual rainfall there where they live, makes it the least developed region of the country. Now, immediately I thought to myself when I read that, oh, i got to talk to Nick because this sounds like the kind of place like, that we want to go, you know. Many species of animals live in the Savannah region. And these include monkeys, buffaloes, elephants, lions, giant snails. Anybody up for that? Giant snails and a variety of birds. And so I'm thinking, this is great. Like, this is, this is the place, Karen. This is so much cooler than Takradi, right? I mean, lions and elephants and giant snails and 
and all these things. I mean, this is great. And then the next sentence. There are also numerous types of insects. Among the most dangerous are mosquitoes, tsetse flies, and black flies. These insects carry diseases such as malaria, yellow fever, sleeping sickness, and river blindness. Unfortunately, the territory that is occupied by the Ligby has the most exposure to these insects. Hmm. Hmm. I thought to myself, hmm, maybe not. The main source of income comes from farming. Sorghum is their main crop. Potatoes, peanuts, bananas, corn, peas, rice, and melons are also grown. The Ligby do not raise cattle because of the flies. However, they do keep goats, dogs, chickens, and some sheep. Hunting is also important because the meat provides most of the protein in their diet. But very little fishing is done because of the dangerous insect swarms around the rivers. I'm reading that. I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. When I first started reading, I thought, this is great. When I got done reading, I thought, there's no way I want to go there. (laughs) But then in my notes, I wrote down that illustration about cancer, and I thought to myself, but if I had a cure for cancer, would I go there? Would we do everything that we could to let these people know that there's a way to live? I think we would. I think we'd find a way. I think we'd take some really good insect repellent and really good nets, and we'd find a way. But we have such a greater message And so our sense of urgency, Paul says, they have not believed, they've not heard. How would they hear without someone preaching? We've got to get over the fact that it's hard sometimes and just do it. We have the greatest message ever in the history of mankind and we need people to hear it. And then third, the role that we play. Notice the roles that we play in this mission. This is really important. Look at verse 14 again where Paul begins to make this argument about hearing and believing and how it happens. And he says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they're sent? And here, I think, is just a wonderful, concise passage in the Bible that tells us that we have different roles to play in the mission. We have, and there's only two categories here in this particular passage where he talks about there are those who preach. And, and that's not necessarily just people like me that preach in a pulpit. Really, that's just the idea of proclaiming the good news, telling the good news. So those of you who are going to go to Ghana next week, you're going to be put in situations, whether it's with children or whether it's with, in the village. And I know they have some things planned uh, where you're going to be put in situations where you're going to have opportunities to share the gospel. In those moments when you're proclaiming the gospel, you will be the preacher. You won't be the pastor, but you'll be the preacher. And you'll be preaching. You'll be proclaiming. So there are those who proclaim, and then there are those in verse 15 who do what? Who send those who proclaim. And this is really important because it goes beyond, even though it's just two categories, I think there's a principle here that goes beyond those two categories. And the principle is this. Every single one of us has a role to play in this. We all have a role to play in this. Every one of us. I was thinking about this week. Yesterday I was here and during VBS setup, 
And there were people here setting up and decorating and doing all kinds of things. I love to watch that as your pastor. That's one of my favorite things to do is to come and just watch the church work together and do things together as a church. And it was cool to me watching you set up because I know there were people here setting up who aren't going to be able to be here during the VBS and do things like that. And I thought to myself, this is great. This is a perfect example of the fact that we all have a role to play. Every one of us has a role to play. When we go to Ghana on Saturday, many of us, myself included, will get there because some of you have sent us financially. We wouldn't be able to go. It would literally be impossible for me and my wife and my daughter, for the three of us, to go on this trip if it weren't for many of you who've contributed financially to get us there. And that's not just for us. I know across the board, all of us have gotten help, whether it's from individuals or from the church at large. All of us have been helped. We all have a role to play. Some of us go, some of us sin, but we all have a role to play. And so as I'm sort of bringing this thing to a close today and finishing up, I just want to ask you to consider... Today, consider what's your role? Do you have a role in the body of Christ? Are you doing something in the body of Christ to play your part? You know why I think that a lot of people don't have a place? I think a lot of people don't have a place because they feel like if they can't do something big, they're not going to do anything at all. I uh, was many, many years ago, and as a much smaller man, I was in the Marine Corps. And one of the things that we used to do, I was an infantryman and a rifleman in the Marine Corps, and so we spent a lot of time with weapons. And any of you who are in that world at all know that that's not glamorous. That just means you fire your weapon a little bit and you clean your weapon a lot. That's all you do. You, know, you were an armor. You were our arch enemy, by the way. My father-in-law was an armor in the Marine Corps, and we hated armors because they were the guys responsible for checking the cleanliness of our weapons. And they never said it was good. They sent us back and back and back. And I remember one time we had been away. I think we had been in California for a few weeks, and we had gotten back, and Denise had come to pick me up, and, and our families were there waiting, and we were cleaning weapons like we always did. And when we went to turn in our weapons, somebody managed, in an M16, there are all kinds of little parts that you pull out of there and clean. All these strange little things that you wouldn't think would matter, but they do matter. And inside of that M16, when you pull the bolt out and you pull it all apart, there's an extractor in there that extracts the shells. Every time it fires, it grabs the shell and pulls it and extracts it so the next one can be loaded. And then that extractor is held in place by a tiny Little pin about that big. Anybody ever seen that extractor pin? Tiny little pin. Yeah, thanks. Tiny little pin. (laughs) And the armors would inspect that tiny little pin. Every part. And so you had to take the tiny little extractor pin out of the extractor in order to clean your weapon. And guess what happened that day? Somebody lost one. And we spent hours scouring shoulder to shoulder, inch by inch, on our hands and knees, an entire company of Marines looking for a tiny little extractor pin. 
And you may think, well, what's the big deal about a little extractor bit? Yeah, the weapon can't fire without it. And if the weapon can't fire, then the Marine can't fight. And if the Marine can't fight, then the battle's lost. And if the battle's lost, then the war is over. All because of one tiny little piece of metal called an extractor pin that I hate. I hate that thing. (laughs) And I thought about that today because that's, in the grand scheme of things, a super small, invisible little piece of a weapon that makes all the difference in the world to Marine. And I thought about that in the context of what I'm trying to say to you today. And I want you to know that every little thing you do in the body of Christ matters for the mission of the church. And so I want to encourage every single person to find something to be a part of in this church. may not be this week. Maybe you can't participate in BBS You can't get on a plane Saturday to go to Ghana, but there's got to be something that you can do, something that you can be a part of in this church that supports the mission of the church to get the gospel to those who have not heard so that they can believe because we believe that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved.